Um, Pastor Mike preached on the second half of Acts chapter 19, and I'm going to go back the end of 18 and into the beginning of chapter 19. And the title of my sermon is Learning the Way of the Lord. Learning the Way of the Lord. I have had some friends who've gone through the citizenship process here in the U.S. We've gone through that. Part of that process is learning some basic things about the country, the history of United States of America, the government, how things work, the rights that we have here as Christians, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Just some basic things about America and the freedoms, the rights that we have, and the expectations that we have as citizens. So there's about a 100 questions and so there's some things that, that the, the United States wants citizens to know. History about the United States and rights that we have. And as Christians, there are, as, as citizens of the kingdom of God, those who've been brought into the family of God's saints, there are truths that God wants his people to know. There is redemptive history redemptive gospel history that God wants his people to know and understand and become intimately and accurately acquainted with. That's the big idea today. That's where we're going as we look at two snapshots in the book of Acts, uh, one of a man named Apollos and one of some, some quote, disciples in Ephesus that Paul encounters, and they both knew the baptism of John. And there was something lacking in their theological understanding and experience that God wanted them to walk into, to know and become intimately and accurately acquainted with. So our big idea is that God desires his people to be accurately and intimately acquainted with the redemptive history of the gospel and fully experience the benefits of the gospel. Amen? So with that said, let's go ahead and turn over to Acts 18, starting in verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside, and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished the cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he had powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And we're going to stop here. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so here's this Jew from Alexandria. Alexandria was a place where, where there was good education and, and people were trained well to learn in Alexandria. Apollos was a scholar and well-educated man who had come from Alexandria. He was a Jew who knew well the Old Testament scripture. He knew it well. He was well-versed within the Old Testament scripture. 
and he was competent in the scriptures. He, he knew the word of God. He was a good speaker. He was trained well in how to speak and, and, and he had a strong presence about him. He was an influential leader. He was a gifted leader who needed more understanding. But he was very gifted. Luke describes him as eloquent in speech, competent in scriptures, fervent in spirit. He taught accurately about Jesus. He was bold. He was teachable. He was helpful to the saints. And he was persuasive. What a stellar guy. I would love to have that guy on staff here at City Church. I mean, this guy was solid. He was on fire. As uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, he, he just uses that phrase, he had logic on fire. He was very smart, but he wasn't stale and crusty in his intellectual understanding, in his theological understanding. He had passion and he had fire in his, in his speech. Okay. So, and he, and he taught accurately the things of Jesus. Yet Luke gives us this snapshot of who he is and he lets us see that this guy was still lacking something. He still needed to be discipled in some things, to grow in some things as a follower of Jesus, which by the way, I think we all have some of those areas in our life, no matter where we're at in our walk with Jesus. We all have some room to grow in becoming more like Jesus and becoming more intimately and accurately acquainted with who he is and what he's laid out for us in scripture to know and believe and to practice. So he was a gifted man, eloquent. He was bold. He was, he was being used by God. I want to hone in on this little verse or this little phrase here. He was fervent in spirit. The, the idea is he was boiling spiritually. He had this heat, this fire, this passion and, and that came out that was exuded through him when he would speak. And so he, he was winsome in, in his speech. This is similar to what the Apostle Paul exhorted Christians to have in their lives in Romans chapter 12. As Paul is exhorting Christians to live out the gospel, to live out their Christianity on the ground in their lives spiritually. He says, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Do not be slothful in zeal but fervent in spirit. I posted this verse the other day on our social media and I asked the question, if you were to rate yourself from one to 10 on your spiritual fervor, where would you fall on a scale of one to 10, 10 being hot, one being cold? Are you on fire for Jesus? Are you passionate about Jesus Christ and the gospel and the kingdom of God? And is that expressed in your prayer life? Is that expressed in your devotional life? The time you spend devouring this word and meditating on this word and becoming intimately and accurately acquainted with who God is revealed in scripture? And has that word caused your heart to be ablaze for him? Are you overflowing? Just you can't help but talking about Jesus everywhere you go. How would you rate yourself? Or maybe spouses, we should have spouses rate one another. Maybe husbands ask your wives and wives ask your husbands later on. All right. How would you rate me in my spiritual life right now? Am I hot right now for Jesus? Am I cold? Am I lukewarm? 
Okay, I think many of us need some reviving and awakening in our lives. We need some stirring. And the Christian life is this ongoing process of being transformed, being renewed, uh, being reformed, being changed, transformed by the inside, by the spirit from the inside out. This this uh, man, Apollos, was a godly man. He was a godly leader and he had some characteristics that I think many Christians lack and, and should pursue. And one of them was spiritual fervor. Now, he was so influential in the church that many of the Corinthians identified with him more with him than they did with the Apostle Paul. You see, in the the Apostle Paul mentions Apollos a couple times in first Corinthians and one in Romans, you know, the, the Corinthians in their immaturity, they were like, I follow Paul. Others were like, no, I follow Apollos. Others were like, I follow Peter. And then others just pull the trump card. They're like, I follow Jesus, man. I don't know about you guys, right? And so they had this immaturity about them. It's kind of like those today who would be maybe be like, man, I follow Piper, man. I follow Tim Keller, man. You name, you name whoever those, those, those top influential leaders are and, and, and you put the emphasis on identifying with them. Rather than being followers of Jesus. And it's just a, it's, it's an immaturity. Or Paul and Apollos didn't approve of what the Corinthians were doing in this. Okay? Um, in this competitive, unhealthy competition here, or uh, party spirit, if you will. But this is the perspective that Paul gives, and he mentions Paulos, concerning him, his work, Paul's work, and Apollos' work. He says, for one says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Like, God's the hero, guys. God's the hero. We're just servants. We're just ministers. We're just uh, mailmen delivering the message. So verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So Paul describes Apollos as an, another servant of Christ and a fellow worker. Okay, A kingdom of God fellow worker that he describes him as. And many other Christians liked him and identified more with him. Um, again, the, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, the Corinthians valued uh, eloquence and speech and philosophy. And so uh, somebody, a, a scholar from Alexandria who was well-versed in the scriptures and had a strong presence about him was very winsome to the Corinthian people. Um, so just wanted to give a little bit of that that backdrop there. Let me just say a few more things. Uh, Martin Luther believed that Apollos was the author of the book of Hebrews. Okay, for whatever, whatever that's worth to you. just Because we don't know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Many would say the Apostle Paul. Uh, so we don't have the typical Pauline um, identification on that if that was him. Uh, but the book of Hebrews is this powerful, packed sermon in 13 chapters that accurately teaches who Jesus is, rooted in Old Testament scriptures. 
Okay, so I, I think you can make a good argument for Apollos being that that guy. If Apollos was that guy who wrote the book of Hebrews inspired by the Holy Spirit, then surely he did that after he had met with Priscilla and Aquila, who instructed him, who instructed him more accurately into the things of God. And let me just say something about these two, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. So Luke mentions Priscilla first. Priscilla and Aquila, and they hear Apollo speak, and and they 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 discern something. They hear something in this guy. They're like, one, he, he's teaching Jesus, and he's doing a good job, but there's just there's something missing here. This is a great speaker, great preacher. This guy has a lot of potential to make a huge impact. Gosh, what we, we should maybe have this guy over. And let's, let's talk with them. Come on, let's, let's have them over for lunch after church and let's have a conversation here and let's, let's, let's explain to him some things that, that he, he's missing out on. Because the text tells us, Luke tells us that he only knew the baptism of John. Okay? Uh, Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila, they heard him, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Verse 25, he only knew the baptism of John, though he knew about Jesus and what he taught about Jesus was true and accurate. He was lacking some things that 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 God had done in redemptive history that he needed to be better informed in. Now, John the Baptist uh, said concerning Jesus and concerning the Messiah, he said the Messiah when the Messiah comes, I baptize you with water. You, you repent, you get baptized, I baptize you with water and the repentance. But he who's coming after me, who's greater and greater than me, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay, so John the Baptist taught that. Uh, he also said in John chapter 1, John the Baptist, when Jesus came, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, so that's some of the insight of what John the Baptist had concerning who Jesus is. When John the Baptist was in jail, he sent some of his disciples to go to Jesus and say, are you the Messiah or should we look for another one? And Jesus responds, quoting Isaiah, I believe 35, the, the lame the lame walk, the blind see, and the, the poor have the gospel preached to them, right? And so in Jesus, in, in, in quoting scripture, he's implying, yeah, I'm him. This is fulfillment. It's here. I'm, I'm the one, right? And so Apollos had only knew the baptism of John. So he was lacking some things. We don't know exactly what Apollos was lacking. We just know he was lacking some things theologically and in his understanding. Okay, um, some theologians don't even think that Apollos was a Christian yet until after this experience with Priscilla and Aquila. Now, of course, if he didn't know the gospel, if he didn't know Jesus, he wouldn't be a Christian. Uh, but he 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 seemed to trust in Jesus and he proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ. And so he seemed to have this relationship with Jesus, but he was still lacking some things. So, so some of the thoughts of what he might have been lacking theologically is like at the end of Matthew 28, where, where Jesus, uh, commissioned his disciples to go make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. Perhaps Paulus didn't hear that part of redemptive history. And he needed to be, in, he needed to be informed a little bit more like, hey, there's this other Christian baptism. Jesus says, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? 
and, and, and then he ascended back into heaven. Or perhaps Apollos didn't know yet about Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. Perhaps Apollos didn't realize that now every Christian gets the Holy Spirit, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit living, residing within us, enabling us to be who God's called us to be and do what God's called us to do. Perhaps Apollos needed to be instructed in that. Now, he seems to be a very gifted guy and he seems to have the spirit, but Luke doesn't clearly tell us that. He's fervent in spirit. That could be fervent in capital S, Holy Spirit, or it could be fervent like in his enthusiasm and his passion for Jesus. Nevertheless, I would say that it is the Holy Spirit who creates that fervency within us in our spirit and causes us to be on fire. So theologians differ and and have different views on whether he was a Christian or not. Now, it is interesting to note, too, that Apollos, it doesn't say here that he got water baptized after that. It doesn't say that the spirit fell upon him after that. It doesn't tell, it doesn't give any indication that he converted then. He just seemed to get more, a better, more accurate understanding of the way of the Lord. Okay? And I think we all could use some of that. A more accurate understanding. To know in, more intimately and accurately who God is and what He has for us. Okay? Because I think many folks in churches are missing out on the fullness of what God wants his people to experience. Living nominal Christian lives. Okay? Just comfortable going to church and having a nice, comfortable life. Not creating any waves. Not rocking the boat at all. Uh, But God calls us to experience so much more in relationship with him and living on mission with him. So with that said about Apollos, let's move on here because I think Luke puts these two stories, these two snapshots together. And so we're going to tra- we're going to now look at chapter 19 in verse 1. And, and Luke brings us back to Paul. And Paul's kind of been the main character in this section of Acts. Paul gets the most ink as far as a human character in This part of Acts. Okay, so he brings us back to Acts, but he just takes this small snapshot of this guy named Apollos, Christian leader, and Priscilla and Aquila. Let me just go back and say something about Priscilla and Aquila. They must have been gracious, and they must have been a mature, godly couple. The way that they pulled Apollos aside and instructed him. They didn't publicly say, hey, that's wrong, dude. You're missing something. You're missing something. Hey, hey, let me, let me tell you that they didn't publicly confront him. They graciously pulled him aside. They probably took him the meal, had him over, hosted him in the house, and they explained to him. And now check this out. And Apollos received it. He must have been teachable and humble. Humble enough to receive what Priscilla, a, 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 a Christian woman, and her husband, Aquila, had to say. He humbly received from their understanding of the gospel and redemptive history and it helped him as a leader. And I I think Apollos, one, I think he became the, 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 the solid leader that he was by living a humble and teachable life. 
Because God just downloads grace and blessing and wisdom to, to, to people who are like sponges like that. Like, teach me, give me wisdom and give, give me understanding. And he was immersed in the Old Testament scriptures. And so I'm sure he would have filtered through anything Priscilla and Aquila were telling him. I'm sure he would have filtered through his biblical understanding of these things. So if it was the Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit, everybody gets that now. Okay? Then I'm sure he would have filtered that and, and, and they, they might have brought him to like Joel. Where Joel prophesies and says that in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters, they'll prophesy. And so he may, he may have filtered these Old Testament texts and been like, okay, that's cool. I received that. And he must have grown from that. And the scripture tells us right after that about Apollos, he was, uh, he greatly helped those who believed. Uh, verse 27. Um, so after he had that experience, he 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 went on uh, and encouraged some believers. He greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed. He received help, theological help, and sharpening and honing from Priscilla and Aquila. And then he went on and he greatly helped those who who had believed through grace. And he powerfully refuted the Jews in public. Acts nineteen. So Paul here is an. Um, in Ephesus. So it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. This is pretty cool here. Okay, pretty interesting story here, a snapshot. And again, theologians have, have two different views on this, or a couple different views on these, these Ephesian disciples there. And my point is simply this, is that the Ephesians disciples needed to receive the Holy Spirit. Like Apollos, they were, they were just acquainted with the baptism of John. Okay, John prepared people for the Messiah who were, was to come. But there was more that these guys needed. They were lacking something. And I don't know what it was when Paul was with them. I don't know how he saw that, but he discerned these guys are lacking something here. Maybe there was a prayer meeting and Paul was there in a prayer meeting and he heard these guys praying or not praying. And they're like, you got, do you even have a spiritual pulse, dude? Are you like spiritually awake? Do you guys, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So he asked them that question. So, so one, one question to ask yourself is, were these guys even Christians in the first place? Now this is where theologians differ. Some would say these guys were Christians. They, they were disciples, as Luke says. Um, but they, they hadn't been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. Okay. Others would say, no, these were just like, kind of like Old Testament saints. Uh, who were disciples of John the Baptist, they were still waiting for the new covenant. You know, they, they hadn't experienced it yet. 
Paul assumed that they had believed. He said, did, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Okay. <clears throat> Apparently, they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. Now, surely they knew something about the Spirit, though, because the Old Testament talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. I mean, from Genesis 1, we're introduced to the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God would, was moving and working throughout the Old Testament as well. But one of the distinctions in the New Testament is that everybody gets the Holy Spirit. Not just some leaders does the Holy Spirit come upon, but the new, the new covenant, because of, because of what Jesus has done, Peter proclaimed it, he says the promise of the Holy Spirit's to you and to, to, to all who are far off, to everyone who believes and calls upon the name of the Lord, as many as the Lord God will call. We all get the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So were these guys even Christians since they didn't, obviously they didn't possess the Holy Spirit yet. Now Pentecostals would say, well, they, they, they just, they weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. Uh, typically, and, and then the, the evidence, Pentecostals would say the evidence of having the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Um, now, I have a problem with that. I have a problem with anybody who says to be a Christian and to, to have any evidence that you have the Spirit of God living inside of you means that you have to speak in tongues. And the reason I have a problem with that is because the Apostle Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, does everybody speak in tongues? Do all speak in tongues? Do all work miracles? Do all, are all apostles? And the implication in 1 Corinthians 12 is no, not everybody does that. In the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came upon people, often people spoke in tongues, but that wasn't the case for everybody. Okay? Uh, for, for some people, it was, they prophesied. Okay? Or, or they spoke the word of God with boldness. And so, one theologian says this regarding whether these guys were Christians or not, and he just kind of tries to pull, take the middle ground here, and he says, they were at best nominal Christians and at worst disciples of John. Okay? At best nominal Christians and at worst disciples of John. I just want to pause here and ask you, church, that question that Paul asked the, these guys in, in Ephesus. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Let me say it like this. Do you have the Spirit of the living God residing within you? Or I could say it like this. Are you a Christian? Are you really a Christian? Do you really know God and know that your sins are forgiven and know that you're in fellowship with God and the, the ultimate mark isn't whether you have some spiritual gift or not. One of them is that you have the witness of the Spirit inside of you, affirming that you're a child of God, Romans 8. And then you have the fruit of the Spirit, the ultimate mark of the Christian, of being identified as a Christian, that evidence that the Spirit of God resides within us is love for God and love for people. The fruit of the Spirit. Okay? Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If these things don't characterize your life, 
then you should examine and question, do I have the Spirit of God living inside of me? Am I even a Christian? First John tells us that one of the overarching marks of Christianity, of, of those who are truly Christians, is that they love people and they practice righteousness. And we love people because God first loved us. And by his spirit, Romans 5, 5, he's poured out his love into our hearts. We've received it. And then we give it out to people. What a beautiful uh, uh, aspect of Christianity is that God pours out his love into us. As broken and sinful and flawed as we are, God chooses to love us. And send his son Jesus to rescue us and die for us. And, and, and we get forgiveness of sins. We get freedom from sin. We get cleansing and we get this fellowship with God. This relationship with God where we're children of God. And we know that we know that we know we're children of God. Now perhaps there's some here who, who you, you have the Holy Spirit. You know you have the Holy Spirit. But you just need some stirring, awakening, reviving in your heart and your soul. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit afresh. I've had many encounters with the Spirit of God. And, and one of those encounters early on in my walk with the Lord, speaking in tongues was a part of that. And has been a part of my Christian walk and spirituality. I, I know that that's not like, that doesn't make me any better than a Christian that doesn't have that gift and walk in that gift. It doesn't make me any more spiritual than a Christian who doesn't have that. But it's a good gift that the the Apostle Paul says, pursue that. That's a good thing. Don't forbid that happening. All right? That's a good thing happening within. But he says, especially pursue prophecy because that builds up other Christians. That builds them up. So let's look at a couple couple of verses here. Here's what we can say about this. I don't think that it's normative that every Christian speak in tongues. I don't believe that. But I do think it's normative that every Christian possess the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And Ephesians 1 tells us this. Paul's writing to the Ephesian Christians later on. And this is what he says. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. And here's one of the reasons theologically, if you're, if you're a Christian and I ask you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I think this, this should this should be in your in your mind and in your heart. Yeah, I received the Holy Spirit when I believe because that's what the Bible says. It, so objectively, that should be true. But I think it also should be true experientially. And there's there was a change that started to happen within you when you received the Holy Spirit. Your hard heart started to get softened. For me. When I first became a Christian, I got my heart got set ablaze for Jesus. Okay, December 12th, 1998. I started talking about Jesus, the glory of Jesus and who he is and the things of God in the Bible. I became so hungry and excited about the things of God. I couldn't stop talking about it. And you know what? I still can't stop talking about it. That's why I, I 
go over when we're when I'm preaching. I try to preach a short sermon. I preach a long sermon because I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about the Bible. I want to talk about the things of God. I meet people on the street and I look for anybody who will talk to me and listen to the gospel and let me share with them about Jesus. Okay, because he set my heart ablaze for him. And there were some sinful habits and patterns that were broken and changed in my life when I became a Christian. My desires changed because the Spirit of God changed me supernaturally. God did a work in my heart and my mind. And then about six months, and by the way, I didn't get baptized with water till um, about six months later. And that wasn't because I was being disobedient and like, oh, I don't need to get baptized. I was sprinkled in the Catholic Church. I'm good. Right. It wasn't it wasn't anything. It just there wasn't an opportunity for me. Nobody said, hey, have you been baptized yet in water? Uh, that needed to happen. That probably should have happened earlier on. But hey, at that time, the church that I was at that six months later, they were doing baptisms. And I was like, man, I haven't been baptized yet. I need to get baptized in water. And you know what? Before I was baptized in water, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And so like in the book of Acts, God kind of messes with the order a little bit of how he does things. It doesn't always happen exactly the same uniform, but it's clear that every Christian gets the spirit. Romans 8, 9 says this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells within you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of God, spirit of Christ, does not belong to him. If you're a Christian, you have the spirit. And he leads you. He guides you. He, he makes much of Jesus in your life and in your heart. Jesus said he would, in John 16, the spirit would glorify Jesus. He would come. In John 14, he'll be your helper, your comforter. He'll lead you and guide you into the truth. He'll bring to your remembrance all that Jesus commanded you. And the spirit makes intercession for us. And he convicts us of sin. And he affirms who we are as children of God. Many Christians who are trying to live the Christian life without the Spirit, any Christian or professing Christian trying to live the Christian life without the Spirit is like trying to breathe without oxygen. It doesn't work. See, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is an essential part of the Christian life. And many folks in churches are kind of like these disciples of John the Baptist who are like, we haven't even heard about the Holy Spirit. Like maybe they've heard a little bit, but they don't know very much of they, and, and experientially or even theologically. And yet the Bible has a lot to say about that. Galatians 3, 2, it says, let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith? Okay, so it's assumed, it's, it's expected that every Christian uh, have the Holy Spirit and not only possess the Holy Spirit, but continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. So don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. Okay, so here's the deal. You're commanded in Scripture by the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 5, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing experience that every Christian is commanded to pursue, to ask. And it's, it's a passive imperative. Can, and it, it, so in one way, we can't make this happen. Like putting up the, the sails in a sailboat, you can't make the wind blow. But you can put the, the sails up and expect and wait for the wind to blow. 
and, and as Christians, you can, you can pray and you can ask and you can believe and expect this is a part of the Christian experience that I have the life, the presence and the power of the Spirit living inside, inside of me. This is a gospel blessing that we get God to dwell within us. And the Spirit confirms the work that Christ has done in our hearts and our lives. When the Holy Spirit was poured out on these Ephesian disciples, it was verification that these disciples of John the Baptist were now included into the Christian community because they now had the Spirit. And there was some external evidence. It was like a mini Pentecost uh, in Ephesus. Okay? And so we believe this here. And I love what Luke emphasizes in these two snapshots at the end of 18 with Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila and with these guys in Ephesus. He emphasizes in, in, at the end of 18, theological precision. Luke was a doctor and precision, he valued precision as a doctor. He was a, he was a historian and he was a theologian and he valued precision. Okay, and at, here at, at, at City Church, we value theological precision and clarity and biblical integrity. We want to know God accurately. We want to know the scriptures accurately. We want to handle the scripture well according to what the Bible says, not what our theological books say or what our theological upbringing taught us, but what does the Bible say? We want to be people of the word, noble Bereans who search the scripture to see if these things are in the word or not. And... Luke teaches us that the life of the Spirit, the work and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is essential for Christianity. In Acts 19, 1 through 7, these disciples of John the Baptist needed the Spirit. So John Stott says this, speaking of what's norm, what should we expect as the normal experience for Christians? Repentance should be a mark of every Christian. Somebody who's become a Christian. Faith in Jesus is a normal experience. It's, it's, it's what Christians do. They believe in Jesus. Water baptism is something that every Christian should do. That should be a normal experience for every Christian. Though like, like myself, I was a Christian for six months before I was obedient to that command to be water baptized. But that, sh- that should happen sooner than that. It should happen closer to conversion. And then the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is a normal experience, a, no- a-, a norm for the Christian, the life of any Christian. Uh, we should have a spiritual pulse because the-, the Spirit of God has made us alive and He's opened our eyes to see the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and the truth that God has revealed in Scripture. John Stott says, though the perceived order may vary a little, the four belong together and are a un- are universal in the Christian initiation. So do you know the basics of Christianity? Can you explain them to a seeker or a new Christian? Do you know the core essential elements of Christianity, of what it means to be a Christian, how to become a Christian, how to experience forgiveness of sins, how to have eternal life? And then who are you mentoring? Who are you helping? Like Aquila and Priscilla helped Apollos. Who are you investing in and speaking into their lives so that they can become, uh, uh, take next steps with Jesus and become more accurately and intimately acquainted with the way of the Lord? And does your life bear the evidence that you have the Holy Spirit residing in you? You may want to ask somebody close to you this question. 
Do you have the fruit of the Spirit? Ask your spouse. Ask your roommate. Ask a friend. And then here's two two encouragements I want to exhort you to do. Read the book of Ephesians this week and take note of the blessings that are given to you and how it is that you can experience them and walk them out in your life, in your Christian life. Ephesians talks about the blessings, the benefits that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ, being in Christ. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We've been saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And the apostle Paul has these two powerhouse prayers for the Ephesian Christians that the eyes of their hearts would be opened up to see the hope of their calling, the riches of the glory of their inheritance in the saints and the power that works towards us who believe. Paul also prayed in chapter 3 that the Ephesians would know the love of Christ, that they would be able to comprehend by the Spirit the depth and the width and the height of God's love, that they would really get it and they would be transformed by the love of God displayed in the gospel. And then the Apostle Paul commands Christians to be filled with the Holy Spirit in, in Ephesians and he gives out some, he lays out some practical steps of walking out your Christianity, of how to live as a Christian. So I encourage you to read through the six chapters of the book of Ephesians this week and look at what the Christian life, the ideal Christian life should be and, and seek, seek for your life to line up with how the apostle Paul lays that out. And lastly, ask God to fill you with the spirit. Kevin, if you'd come on up, we can, we can even do that right now. I mean, when was the last time? If the Holy Spirit is a good gift that the Father wants to give you, okay? Not just not just for you to possess the Holy Spirit, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be Live under the influence of the Spirit. If that's what He wants for every Christian, then why don't you expect that and ask Him for that? Put the sails up. You can't make the wind blow, but you can ask and you can put the sails up and say, God, I see this in Scripture. And you did different things through your spirit. And I, I want more. I hunger for more. I long for more. This is Christianity. This is what it looks like to walk with you and get to, to know your way, to become acquainted with your way. Jesus said, if you, he says, you, you fathers, you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Luke eleven thirteen. And so let's do that. Kevin, if you would lead us in a song here in response. And if you want prayer, if you want me or someone to pray for you, you can come up to the front. But let's cry out to God. We can be experiencing so much more of the work of God in our lives if we would believe and we would ask and pray and seek His face. Not just so that we can get goosebumps and feel good and have some some great experience, but so that we can know Him better and so that we can more effectively lead others to know Him as well.